from the CBS Sports HQ studios. I'm 24-7 Sports Director Scouting Adam Finkelstein, and you are watching College Basketball Recruiting Weekly. Well, the summer recruiting period is over, and now we are turning our attention to the upcoming college season. We're going to talk about some of the incoming freshmen and the intel we've heard following summer session, as well as some bounce-back transfers. Who disappointed last season? who could revitalize their career in a new location this year. The incoming freshmen are all on campus and we are starting to get some feedback about how they look. Now, of course, that doesn't necessarily mean the feedback is accurate. Remember a year ago, Kyle Filipowski didn't look like he was gonna be quite as good as advertised and we all know how that went. He ended up being the best freshman in the ACC, if not the entire country. But there are a variety of other five-star prospects this year, ready to make an immediate impact on college basketball. Joining me to break it all down is 24-7 Sports college basketball writer, Isaac Trotter. Isaac, thank you for joining us here today. Yeah, anytime. This is uh, the summer of speculation beginning, right, for freshmen all across the country and a lot of uh, big-time names coming into interesting situations where we can start to see if they're ready to, to compete at a high level. All right, now when it comes to this current freshman class, obviously the biggest news of the summer is around Bronny James and his condition after suffering cardiac arrest. We do not know uh, what the status of his playing career is, especially as it relates to this coming season. What we do know is that USC still has the top rated incoming college freshman in the country, and that is Isaiah Collier. He finished second overall in last year's 24-7 rankings. Of course, Ron Holland, number one, went to G League Ignite. Isaac, what is the early intel that we're hearing out of USC about how Isaiah Collier might be doing so far? Yeah, I think there were some questions early about what a Boogie Ellis, Isaiah Collier backcourt would look like. And those have kind of been answered pretty early. I think it's pretty clear that those two are going to play together really, really well. I mean, we're talking about Collier, one of the best passing prospects in next year's NBA draft, playing with a veteran senior like Ellis who can really shoot the cover off the ball. And this is a USC team that's just loaded with talent. They have great depth at the front court, great depth on the wing. And I think Collier is going to kind of be the, the straw that stirs the drink for what they do offensively. His ability to get in the lane, make plays off the bounce, just a terrific passer. I don't know about you, like, is he the best passer in this class? He's got to be yeah. in that conversation. Then. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought he was. I, I think that, um, you know, it was, it was almost ironic. You watched him last year at Wheeler, and he would sometimes play off the ball. They'd utilize him as a scorer, but certainly his, his best asset is his ability to see the floor and pass the ball. He plays a kind of a carefree style and that he can be a little turnover prone. A lot of that I think was contextual in terms of, uh, you know, the people around him, both in the EYBL and during the high school season, but he can really see the floor, really deliver the ball. And remember, he's got his high school running mate, Arrington Page at USC with him. Now, the interesting thing is we really anticipated this being a three guard rotation with Collier, Ellis and Bronny. Uh, now the expectation is that both Collier and Ellis will have to take on even more minutes if Bronny isn't able to return to the lineup. And you said it. I, I think this tandem um, is, is really an ideal one for Isaiah Collier because Ellis is someone who, who, whose best asset is what Collier doesn't do well, and that's shoot the basketball. He's very experienced, so he's got that that Collier can lean on. And if it ever gets a little grueling, because being the primary ball handler is grueling, especially if you've never played college basketball before, now there's a secondary guy on the floor who can step up and take a possession or two 
um, or, or just share the basketball when needed. Make no mistake about it, I think Collier is, is a pure point guard. But what do we make of their depth in the backcourt now? Because without Bronny, and again, we're speculating. We don't know if he's, he's going to be able to play this year. But without Bronny, it would seem like uh, someone's going to have to step up and figure out who can, who can come off the bench and, and give those guys a blow. Yeah, I look at Kobe Johnson. Mm -hmm. I think he has a chance to potentially start at the three, but his ability as an on-ball creator is really interesting. I thought he had some really, really interesting little possessions and games last year where he could make plays off the bounce, and I think that we could see him more as a secondary creator. And I, I'm interested also by like the times when Boogie Ellis is off the floor and when Collier is running the show, like what that offense looks like. Is he does he get into more of like a shot hunting mode as a five star guy and saying, hey, I have a lot of pressure here to to really create shots or or when they are together like you said with boogie playing on the ball i think that could be a really good thing for collier too he's so good getting downhill he gets guys on his hip able to finish through contact i just feel like there's a lot of opportunities for this usc team to kind of mix and match who that primary lead guard is and sometimes it's a bigger potential prospect in kobe johnson other times you can go with boogie ellis other times it's isaiah collier like that type of you modeling and, and, and kind of shaping this rotation could be really, really fascinating for Andy Enfield and his staff. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think Collier is certainly going to be at his best when he's, you mentioned, getting downhill. When they can play fast, uh, and it's interesting because USC has been basically a team built around their bigs uh, over the years, obviously with, with the Mobley brothers and players like that for good reason. Um, but he's best when they get up and down. So maybe we'll return to a little bit of the Dunk City model we saw from Andy Enfield back at Florida Gulf Coast. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, Isaiah Collier, he is the best, the highest ranked incoming freshman, but Kentucky has the highest ranked incoming recruiting class, and it only continued to get better in recent weeks as they went to the international market to add another piece to their front line. Isaac, what, can we, what do we know about the latest pickup for Kentucky? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a big-time big man who can shoot the cover off the ball from three-point range. And I don't know, is it your turn to try to pronounce his last name or is it my turn? Because no, this I'm, one's going to be a little uh, bit of a trick. Yeah, I, we're lucky I pronounced Trotter correctly. So that, that's uh, you, you, take, you take your best, best shot. I went with Zivanovir Ivisic. I think that's kind of what I'm going to ride with. And I like it. Ivisic is an interesting prospect, can really shoot the three, has a lot of size. He's played against grown men for a while. And this is a Kentucky front court situation that has a lot of questions that need to be answered. Aaron Bradshaw is still up in the air with his injury. You know, Trey Mitchell played really well overseas, but defensively is not necessarily his his strong suit. Ogana Onyensu was another guy that went down with an injury uh, when they were playing in Canada. So it's just it's a situation now where Kentucky has to look for this new look front court. Can Bradshaw get healthy? What are the different roles for these guys? But there's no question this going international and finding a guy who's played against adults and can shoot threes at a really high level. You could have some two big combinations there with both the guys that can stretch the floor. So you want to play five out with two bigs that can shoot it and protect the rim. That's, that's a nice little combo there. And another player who is expected to be a one and done candidate. The thing to me that's interesting is coming out of their, their foreign tour to Canada, one of the biggest takeaways was how the style of play had evolved a little bit. We've heard a lot about how John Calipari is going to tweak that system, potentially play with more spacing. Uh, there were four perimeter guys on the floor at most times for Kentucky during that that uh, tour earlier this summer. But what we have to wonder now is whether that was by design or by necessity. I mean, Kentucky is is a program that has historically played very big, not just in the front court, but but across the entire lineup. And so I just wonder 
they're loading up on the front line. Are, is this, <laughs> are the hopes we had of seeing some type of four round one system, was that premature? Are we going back to three round two and, and playing with the two bigs? Because although, listen, Trey Mitchell can shoot, um, you know, Bradshaw can shoot, but it, it's the defensive versatility that's going to be really, really interesting. And even if the bigs can shoot, it does, it does impact your spacing. Uh, but the guy we're not talking about, two guys we haven't talked about yet, Justin Edwards and DJ Wagner. Those were the highest, uh, those were two of the other five-star prospects in addition to Bradshaw um, coming to Kentucky next year. And Isaac, what has been the intel on those guys so far? Yeah, I think everyone is in love with Justin Edwards. Yeah. I mean, we're po potentially talking about a guy who's their best player. I think he probably wow. should be in the mix to potentially be, you know, their number one, you know, a number one draft pick potentially next year in the NBA draft. Like his size, his mobility, his ability to knock down threes, slashing, defensive versatility, guarding multiple spots. And the other thing too, is he's older. He's already 19. Right. He's gonna be 20 by the time the 2024 NBA draft rolls around. I don't know about you, I just feel like he's, built to play the college game and built to succeed. And I think there's a lot of, lot to like about what Justin Edwards can do in his fit with Kentucky in year one. What I really liked about Justin Edwards' trajectory, uh, team final EYBL and Imhotep Charter in Philadelphia, he was a volume scorer early on. He kind, of, he kind of made his reputation based on his ability to put points on the board. But he got more and more unselfish as his high school season went along. And I thought he made some really impressive strides his senior year as a passer. And I thought, especially uh, with Imhotep, where it's a non-negotiable, he was really locked in defensively. Now I will say this, I've seen how he is ultra versatile defensively. I, I think he's ultra competitive defensively. I'm not yet sold that he has great hips. I think as he builds up his body, he may have an easier time switching up the lineup, meaning switching onto big guys, than he will switching down the lineup. The reason why I think that's relevant is because if they played four around one, I think he could have played some at that four spot, and I think it would have opened things up for him offensively and allowed him to create some mismatches. Now, with more and more big guys coming into the lineup, even with some of the injuries they have, yeah, he's going to go back to, to what is considered his natural position at the three. But if that puts him in positions where he's got to switch onto guards, um, I, I'm not sure about that. And the other thing, offensively, I just wasn't sure. DJ Wagner was such a priority for Cal. And he was such a big recruit because it looked like Louisville, Kenny Payne, his old lieutenant, was going to steal him out from under him when he had been considered a Kentucky lean for so long. Cal had to really dig in, and it was one of his biggest recruiting wins in a long time. DJ Wagner is going to be a focal point there offensively. Um, that goes without saying. And, and now you've got mouths to feed up front. My biggest question with Justin Edwards is, uh, or was I should say, is he going to be involved enough offensively? Because as I said, he's become more unselfish. Is he assertive enough? Are they gonna run enough for him to see him really show what he can do offensively? Because let's face it, we've seen a number of high-level NBA players that don't really get going offensively at Kentucky. So I was very curious to see how that was gonna, gonna work out for, for Edwards uh, with Wagner, with those bigs. But in Canada, Isaac, it seemed like he was able to assert himself. I thought that was a very encouraging trip for Justin Edwards. It was. And I think what you're touching on a little bit is it's not really on Justin Edwards to figure this out. It's mm. on the Kentucky staff. And I think it's not really up to Edwards to, to be a your turn, my turn type of player mm. with DJ Wagner. I think that connective 
tissues together. Like how many sets can you find where Justin Edwards and DJ Wagner are both putting stress and pressure on the defense together? How many actions can you run? How many inverted ball screens will Kentucky be willing to run? Can Justin Edwards potentially work as being a roller? I think there's some creativity there offensively that he could potentially bring to this lineup. I think it's up to the staff to be able to be comfortable using him in non-traditional ways to make him more impactful than just a, hey, spread the floor, you're a catch-and-shoot guy, and you attack long closeouts. Because there's a more to his game that I think we can see at Kentucky in year one and then obviously beyond in the next few years. Yeah, I like it. Um, another incoming freshman, former five-star prospect, in a very similar position, Mackenzie McBacco at Indiana. Indiana is a team uh, that looks very deep and talented in their front court, but it could come with some potential spacing concerns. Isaac, can you break down what that that front court rotation may look like for the Hoosiers next year? Yeah, this is kind of a mess, right? Like Indiana <laughs> loses Trace Jackson Davis and they go with the mul- like I'm going to get as many guys as possible. So, let's go get Kalel Ware out of Oregon. We are going to get uh, Mackenzie Mbako is coming in. Uh, we're going to go get Anthony Walker. He's coming from Miami. Peyton Sparks, a bulldog out of Ball State. Let's go get him too. And then they get Malik Renew back as well. So there's just a lot of power forwards, threes, big threes, you know, some fives on this roster. And how it all works together is going to be fascinating. And I think right now Mbako has gained a lot of weight. He's guarding threes in practice. I think they want him to play the three. And his his jumper, honestly, wasn't a strength at times last year, but I think it can be in the future. It, it really looks right. But my question is defensively, can he move his feet? Is he able to guard threes? Is he able to switch on the occasional Big Ten twos? Like, those are kind of my questions, because I think offensively he'll be able to figure it out in certain lineups, but yeah, man, the spacing's gonna be a little bit iffy. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not overly confident about that. And and I think this was, I think Indiana tried to get a more prototypical wing, uh, and and where they, I mean, listen, if you can get Kalel where you take him. Um, but in the name we didn't even mention was Caleb Banks, who I'm told has made some significant strides this summer and is even staying on campus when, when a lot of the other student-athletes, student uh, apologies, I'm not supposed to say student-athletes anymore, when a lot of the other players have gone home uh, and they're expecting a big jump from him as a sophomore. McBacco is a guy who has always wanted to play the three, but again, even more so than Justin Edwards, I was concerned about how he would do laterally on the defensive end of the floor. You add to that the fact that, that I've heard, and I think you mentioned this, he is, he is bulked up and added a notable amount of muscle mass uh, to his frame this summer. We saw that starting over the course of his senior year. I think that just makes him even more of a four. But here's the thing. You've got Kalel Ware. You've got to play him. Malik Renault came to Indiana with the belief that once Trace Jackson Davis left, he was going to take over as the starting center. Now Kalel Ware, now Kalel Ware is there. You've got to play Monique Renault as well. I think both of those guys are five men, so you got to try and figure it out. Uh, then McBacco, obviously, when he reopened his recruitment late, decommitting from Duke, he wasn't going anywhere where he didn't think he had an immediate opportunity. You got to play Mackenzie McBacco, too. So they're kind of in this position now where they got to figure out how to have those three guys on the floor together. And that's not getting into Banks, Walker, and all those other players you just mentioned. So spacing is going to be really, really interesting. Not so much, uh, let me say this. I have more faith in their spacing um, offensively because Ware and McBacco can both shoot it. Where I think it's going to be more concerning is on the defensive end of the floor. How switchable are they? How, how adept are they at guarding dribble penetration and, and things like that? That's going to be really interesting uh, to watch next year 
in Indiana. All right, a couple other five stars that we mentioned. We just talked about Mackenzie McBacco decommitting from Duke. Jared McCain got rave reviews playing out at the CP3 camp recently with high school prospects and college players. Isaac, what can we expect uh, from Jared McCain, knowing that he is joining a Duke backcourt that is coming back basically in its entirety next year? Yeah, I mean, you could make a case that this Duke backcourt is one of the best in college basketball, maybe the best in college basketball. But my question is, is why can't McCain play with Tyrese Proctor and Jeremy Roach? Like, Duke has tried to get some potential big Because they're going to play the, big. I mean, uh, yeah, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. But the reality is they're going to play big. They're going to prioritize defense. They're going to play Filipowski at the four. They're going to play Mitchell at the three. We saw it time and time again. Like, I would love it if they did. I would love it if they did. They'd have spacing. Things would be a lot more aesthetically pleasing, shall we say, offensively. But I just don't think that's, I just don't think that's, that's what we saw last year from John Shire. I think you're fair. I think it's fair. But I think that Ryan Young right now as their potential center mm -hmm. is not a defensive game changer. He mm -hmm. isn't. Like, they don't have like a vertical rim protection threat. So I would love to go deeper into that offense. Like, let's play a more spaced out modern offense. Let's play Mark Mitchell at the four. Let's play flip at the five. Oh. Let's go with three dynamic ball handlers there. You could you're use stealing Mitchell my as line. a screener. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. I just, I just think a lot of it could work together really, really well. And so, like, McCain, like, right now, maybe if they do play big, yeah, he's coming off the bench, he's spot minutes for Proctor, he's spot minutes for Roach, you can cobble together 20 minutes. But he's super talented and a super talented shot maker. And the floor-stretching abilities and the ability to attack weak perimeter defenders, I could see them, you know, trying to hide. Like, all right, let's say Miami, for example. That's a team that's going to probably try to win the ACC. Mm. They're going to try to hide Nigel Pack on somebody. You don't want to put him on Proctor. You probably yeah. don't want to put him on Roach. Maybe he's McCain's defensive assignment, and McCain can kind of take advantage of that. So I would like to see Duke try to tap into that more modern offensive style of basketball and try to get three prime decision makers on the floor around Filipowski. I mean, I feel like there's there's a lot to like about that potential five-man lineup with Mitchell at the four. And TJ Power is another player who can figure into that because you can put him on the court with Filipowski uh, and Mitchell. You're still big. You don't have that Derek Lively type rim protector with that lineup necessarily, but power can certainly stretch the floor. In fact, it's what he does best. So there is, is definitely the potential for more floor spacing next year at Duke. Uh, and, and that's not even taking into consideration gains you might see from Proc Proctor, Filipowski, and Mitchell as they continue uh, to work on that. Another five-star prospect, um, he's joining the defending national champion, Stefan Castle. Uh, UConn took a, a tour overseas recently, and Castle had some, some very positive results. There's obviously going to be an ample opportunity there in stores, given some of the losses they had to the NBA, Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, uh, moving on along with Adama Sanogo. What can we expect, Isaac, from Castle this year? Because I've always... Like, he was one of those players that, that was utilized as a big point guard in high school. But I was always under the impression that his best asset was his ability to play multiple positions. And I think that's going to afford Danny Hurley a lot of, of optionality in terms of how he utilizes him this year. Yeah, is it crazy to look at him as like an Andre Jackson 2.0? I no. mean, a less, lot of less similar. More powerful, less athletic, but uh, otherwise very similar. Yeah. Yeah, I think they could be used in a lot of similar ways, and the pieces around it make a lot of sense. Tristan Newton's a veteran, trustworthy point guard who has learned how to make shots from the perimeter. Cam Spencer, one of the top catch-and-shoot transfers out of the portal. Alex Caravan, reliable 3 and D. Donovan Klingon, who we think could potentially be a National Player of the Year contender. You throw a kid like 
Passel into that mix or he's like a jumbo sized playmaker getting the ball where it needs to go. I just love that fit together. And I trust Danny Hurley, his scheme, his staff, just to put them in positions to succeed. I feel like Castle's set up to have a major, major impact. If he's great, I think UConn could be really special. Big East is loaded, but man, UConn's going to be a problem in the, in the in the league. Yeah, yeah, I think you make a good, a very good point there. Should also point out that uh, CBS's John Rothstein uh, went to a UConn practice, pointed out solo ball, uh, looked really good. Expects him to be a a big part of the future. So another weapon in the uh, in the UConn backcourt, long, athletic. Uh, plenty skilled in his own right. Last guy I want to ask you about, speaking of shot makers, Aiden Holloway down at Auburn. What are you hearing so far? He's as good as advertised. <laughs> that's the that's the word out of Auburn. And we're talking about a kid. He's only about six foot, six foot one, can shoot the absolute cover off the ball. Now, yeah. Auburn's three-point percentage last year, one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country. Their guard play was pretty iffy and, and, and up and down throughout the year. And I think you're going to look at Holloway coming in along with Denver Jones, a kid out of Florida International, who I really like. I think both of those guys can help fix Auburn's biggest issue. You know, they get Janai Broom back. They get Jalen Williams back. You know, Bruce Pearl's going to have a really good defense, especially with that type of front court. But you throw a kid like Holloway into this mix, he's he's really talented. And, you, I mean, you've seen him a ton. Like, he's a good playmaker, too. Like, there's a lot to his game that's not just – just a perimeter, you know, shot maker who can add spacing to the mix. So I'll pull back the curtain a little bit. Internally within our staff last year, we had some disagreements about, you know, just what you're talking about, like the playmaking. Is he a point guard? Is he a combo guard? Um, I admittedly, we finished with him uh, as a point guard because that was that was where the majority of the group thought he belonged. Admittedly, I'm more in that combo guard camp. I think you watch him last year, prolific. He played alongside Trey Green, and it was one of those who's going to Xavier, and it was one of those things where, like, yeah, they'd let Aiden bring the ball up the floor, and he'd enter the ball and get him in the offense, but he wasn't really a point guard. You know what I mean? Um, not really someone who – I mean, he's a shooter. He plays off the threat of his jumper. Even his ability to create for others stems from his ability to have great gravity, uh, not just as a spot-up shooter, but even on ball screens because you can't go under a pick-and-roll with him because he'll just pull up, and he's got a quick release for someone who's undersized. So I think that's really interesting. I think that his, his best impact at Auburn will be if he kind of lets go of like that, hey, I'm a point guard, I'm not a two-guard, and just play. Just play, just be a shooter. Um, it's going to be a lot easier to show people you can play pick and roll if you're doing on the second side of the floor whether, uh, rather than the first side of the floor when the defense is already loaded up. And I'm hopeful for him because I do really believe in his shooting. thought he was one of the best shooters in the country last year. That he won't get too tied to whether or not he's a one or a two and he'll just go out and play. Because to your point, feedback has been really strong so far. One of the best shooters entering college basketball as a freshman next year has a chance to make an immediate impact there at Auburn. All right, we're going to have much more. In fact, not coming up next, we are going to look at some of the uh, transfers who could bounce back next season. But a reminder, visit 247sports.com. That's where you will see all of Isaac's work, all of my written work, as well as everybody else, Eric Bossy, Travis Branham, Deshaun London, Brandon Jenkins. We're all there, 247sports.com. Now, the five-star freshman, things don't always go necessarily as planned. We saw that with a few different guys last year, but almost all of them now have different zip codes. Kalel Ware, he's on his way to Indiana. Arterio Morris, he is headed to Kansas. And Jaden Bradley is in Arizona. I'm going to welcome back Isaac Trotter to help me break down whether or not these former five-stars could rebound in a new location. 
All right, Isaac, uh, we talked a lot about Indiana, Mackenzie McBacco, uh, the fit there with Malik Renault, Kalel Ware. What are we expecting for Kalel Ware? Is he finally ready to put it all together? Because the talent is undeniable. I'm confused, man. Like, <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at with Kalel Ware. Like, what are you good at? What is your strengths? How can impactful can you be on both ends of the floor? I think Kalel Ware has to answer all of those questions, and he can. That's the part of it that's maybe the most frustrating. He's so talented. And I think the the big question around him was, you know, effort and continuous effort and being locked in on both ends of the floor at Oregon. Those are rites of packet passages to get on the floor for Mike Woodson. So I'm not expecting him to have any issues with his motor. If you want to play for Mike Woodson, you have to play with your motor revved up really, really high. So I just kind of want to see him assert himself and show his strengths again. It feels like it's been a while since we've seen him be a dominant factor at the, we didn't really see it much last year, honestly, at Oregon. And what is, are those strengths? What are you awesome at? And what can we see on a night in, night out basis? And those are my big questions with Flo Ware. I'll tell you what he's awesome at. He's awesome at sheer talent because his size, his fluidity, his hands, his touch, uh, and the shooting potential that comes from that. I mean, he's got every tool, but unfortunately this has been the knock since high school. What we saw uh, come to fruition last year at, at Oregon was exactly what we were afraid of in high school because we're just not sure how much Kalel Ware loves the game of basketball. How comfortable is he playing through contact? He's even said out loud, I mean, I was stunned by this, that there were times when he didn't know how much he loved the game of basketball. So I, I think that's the part he's got to figure out because there's not much that he can't do. If you were going to design a modern-day big man from scratch, you would go down the checklist and you would give him almost every tool he has from the hands, the touch, the mobility, the athleticism, the ability to run. He's got all of it. It's just a matter of how bad do you want this? Are you playing because you're tall and gifted or are you playing because you love basketball? That's the part that we've got to figure out because although this is kind of a new story for college basketball fans, for those of us that have followed Kalel Ware since high school, this is a continuation of the same pattern of concerns we've had for several years now. And he's got to get it right in Indiana because if the NCAA enforces this rule, he won't be able to transfer again and play right away. So he's got to figure it out. That's the bottom line. Now we talked about the fit. I'm going to go back. I don't want to belabor it because we already talked about it. But you know, what do you see in that system that could be potentially helpful or a hindrance to him as he tries to to you know finally um you know turn his potential into production yeah i look at trace jackson davis a little bit you know a lot of people talked about trace shooting threes and you know being a modern stretch big man and i thought mike woodson did a really nice job of accentuating his strengths and covering up his weaknesses mm. what does that mean for kalel Ware? i think you can see some of those similar things like i think they'll put him in spots to succeed I'm expecting a lot of ball screens with a veteran pass first point guard like Xavier Johnson. Mm. You know, you also have Trey Galloway at the two, who's another pseudo point guard. Playing with two point guards like that, where he can get the ball in positions to be successful. And then defensively, just simple, simplifying everything. You're our rim protector. You are the guy you're going to guard, you know, big men, and we're going to bring a double every time. Like, make it simple and just let his physical tools come out and play. And I think that's the part about Indiana and Mike Woodson that I really like about his staff. And it feels like they don't try to, like, make somebody a player that they're not. 
Yeah. And I think that's what we'll see from Kalel Ware. I, I think with Kalel Ware, it comes down to this. He wants to be on the perimeter. He wants to shoot jumpers. Um, you got to let him pick and pop and do that sort of thing, but you've got to steal him a couple lobs a game. You know, whether, whether it's a drag screen and transition or some type of quick hitter, you've got to steal him a couple buckets to assert himself at the rim. But the key, and we said this earlier, in, in my opinion, it's going to come down to the defensive end of the floor. Who's going to guard the four, him or Malik Renault, or are you just going to go drop coverage on both sides of the floor and really pack in the paint? It, it's it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, I think it's it's – a positive thing that he's with a physical kind of guy who likes to play on the interior like Renault. But again, it's, it's the defensive piece that I have, I have some questions about. All right. Uh, going to go talk about a couple of different point guards right now. Arturio Morris, he committed to Texas last year. Obviously, there was a coaching change mid-year, but never lived up to the early expectations we saw given his size, his physical gifts, his athleticism, potential playmaking ability. Transferred to Kansas and showed some very positive signs in a recent foreign tour. Isaac, what can you tell us about what we have seen so far out of Arturio Morris with the Jayhawks and, and what kind of the, uh, the word is on the street, so to speak? Man, Arturio Morris is so athletic, so tremendous in the open court. I mean, I think he's just a lob threat from the moment they start running out in transition. They're looking for Arturio Morris. And I think the thing with him is I, I would expect him to probably settle into a six-man role for Kansas. Mm -hmm. You look at Dewan Harris at the one, Nick Timberlake at the two, Kevin McCullough at the three. I like Arturio Morris as like a fill in the gap at all those different spots. And, you know, the perimeter pop and the downhill threat that he provides is so unique. I'd be also very fascinated if they try to tailor his minutes when Hunter Dickinson is off the court. Hmm. How do we generate rim pressure when Hunter Dickinson is off the court? I think those Arturio Morris drives can be very, very a big part of Kansas' game. And the, the thing I like about Bill Self is just like his schemes are really, really, you know, they're unique, but they're also simple. And they're going to put his guys in really easy spots to take advantage of, of mismatches. And Morris has so much talent. You know, he didn't have a great year at Texas, like you said. I don't know if that was as much his fault as it was more like, hey, we got Marcus Carr. We got Tyrese Hunter. We got Serge Jabari Rice. Like, we have some veteran dudes here. I, and so I think he could have had that breakout year at Texas. It just he didn't really have that opportunity. I think Kansas will kind of carve that out for him. He needed, I saw Texas practice, uh, I think it was early October last year, and it was clear like there were some growing pains there. So in order for him to have that breakout year, he needed to be at a place where he was gonna be allowed to play through his mistakes. And programs competing for national championships don't usually allow that type of uh, freedom for freshmen. I think the thing that is intriguing about this Kansas fit is He's not going to be asked to play the point guard. There was a lot of speculation that he was this big athletic lead guard coming out of high school. Uh, seeing him in a practice setting, in, in a college practice setting, it became clear that he had yet to master all the nuances of that position. At Kansas, you're playing with one of the most reliable, pure point guards in all of college basketball. It frees him up to do what he does best, and that's potentially attack and transition, defend the basketball. And if he can establish himself in those key areas first, he can grow into a, a lead guard or someone who can share the ball with another young guard like Elmarco Jackson down the road. But I think right off the bat, similar to what I said about Aiden Holloway, forget about the point guard stuff right now and just worry about doing what you do best and impacting the game in those areas. And then you can gradually diversify your game as you get older and more comfortable in your current role. Um, I really do think that's gonna be the best scenario uh, for him. Um, last guy I wanna talk about, another 
point guard prospect and a true point guard prospect, and that's Jaden Bradley. Jaden Bradley was at uh, Alabama team that had two different freshmen, obviously Brandon Miller, but also Noah, uh, Noah Clowney, become one and dones last year. Jaden Bradley, widely considered to be the top point guard in the national recruiting class of 2022, but didn't really pop off the page like many expected last year at Alabama. So Isaac, I will uh, pose this question to you. Why didn't he pop like other Alabama freshmen and what could be different in Arizona? Yeah, I think they put the ball in Brandon Miller's hands a lot at Alabama last year. And so that kind of took away um, what Jaden Bradley did great. I, I think there's still some questions about what he brings to the floor when he doesn't have the ball in his hands offensively. But he still had really good pockets of, of, the, of the season, of a freshman season. And I think you have to be really excited if you're Arizona about adding this potential mix to Kylan Boswell, who's a very, very big breakout candidate, and Caleb Love, who, while talented, has been a little bit inconsistent throughout his career. And the, the rim pressure that he brings is going to be very different than what Arizona had on its backcourt last year. Kirk Creesa, I think he had 13 shots at the rim in, in like 30 minutes a game. Mm. You know, Jaden Bradley is going to just triple that, right? Like, he's just a, he's a big-time driver. And that's what they need when they're kind of trying to replace Azulis Tabellis's post-ups and, and all of the easy looks they got in the paint. Arizona was one of the best two-point offenses in all of college basketball last year. So I don't know about you, like, where are you at with this backcourt? Because Kylan Boswell, Caleb Love, now you add Jaden Bradley to that mix. They're yeah, I like all it. different. They have different strengths. Right. But, like, how can they play together? I like the collective feel that Bradley and Boswell bring because while they're both young, uh, those are two guys that instinctively know how to play, instinctively know how to read the floor and make the right decision. And I think that frees up Caleb Love to do what he does best, which is look to, to score the ball and make shots. Um, Caleb Love, I think, at North Carolina, was, it wasn't a great fit last year because the offense got stagnant. R.J. Davis, not really a pure point guard. The ball didn't move. The ball should move at Arizona this year because Bradley, your point about uh, the rim pressure is is astute as it is well researched um but i would add to that he's also a true point guard and and with him and boswell on the floor together at times that ball is really going to move it the floor is going to be spaced we know what they're going to run is going to be you know intricate offensive concepts um and so i i like the fit of this backcourt i like it a lot and i think you could see um, boswell emerge as you said major breakout candidate i think you could see love kind of just embrace this instant offense type of role and Bradley really take on the responsibility of, okay, I'm a pure point guard and I'm gonna get back to what made me the best pure point guard in my high school recruiting class at an Arizona program uh, that's gonna run the type of sophisticated offense that allows me to do that. So I I'm really high on the group. Well, Our and I also think that Bradley's defense is a really impactful hmm. piece too. Point of attack defensively, you know, free up Kylan Boswell a little bit defensively as well. Caleb loves his defense, but up and down. I think Bradley defensively can really, really help them, especially against, you know, they're going to play a lot of drop coverage. I think he can help over the top and get back and contest some of those mid-range twos that Arizona wants to force. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Those guys could be compelling defensively as well. Potentially switchable are going to be an interesting storyline to watch. Uh, all right, we've got Jaden Bradley, we've got Arterior Morris, we've got Kalel Ware, three former five-star prospects that didn't live up to the hype as freshmen, but have a chance to do so in new zip codes as sophomores.
And a special thanks to Isaac Trotter for joining us on today's show. If you're not following Isaac's work, you are missing out. He is one of the best up-and-coming writers in the sport. You can see all of it at 247sports.com. You can follow him on Twitter, Isaac, double underscore Trotter. And to all of you, as always, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Reminder, you can see this on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel and also on your Apple podcast feed. So whether you're watching or listening, we appreciate you, and we will be back again next week. Oh, <laughs>